It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. We have a lot to discuss in this week eight of college football. Two undefeated teams taking L today, and the Pac-12 said not today. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, kids, folks? It's RJ Young. Thank you for watching wherever you are, Fox Sports app, YouTube, Twitter. We're listening wherever you get your podcast. We are doing this Saturday night just before the nightcap. Mississippi State, Alabama, Texas Christian, and Kansas State, we will talk about on Sunday. But tonight, we got to talk about today. And I want to start with where I am. Columbus, Ohio. I made my first trip to the shoe, to Ohio Stadium, for Ohio State versus Iowa. I had such a great time. Went up there, got to talk with Braxton Miller for a while. I met a couple of dudes that play in the tuba, uh, in the tuba section. Shout out to AJ Frazier, who sought me out in front of our little venue and told me, hey, RJ, today is a big day for me. I said, why? I get to dot the I. Yo, what? And he says, hey, man, I have not slept since last night. And I said, I don't blame you. I got to see my man dot the I. I got to see the best damn band in the land play with Iowa. And then I... And producer Tyler had really front row seats to what we expected to be in Ohio State SmackDown. Now, set this up here. Going into this weekend, Ohio State is the only team in college football who had averaged better than 45 points per game in 2021 and was averaging better than 45 points per game in 2022. It gets better. On their last 30 of 38 possessions, they have scored touchdowns. And even better, they are or were a perfect 29 of 29, went inside the red zone scoring points and had 27 TDs each time they went in there of those 29 times. So just two times they had been playing without this, uh, or for, they had played six games where they had been inside the 20 and not scored a TD twice. So going into this game, I expect, yeah, you're going to put it on a pretty decent Iowa Hawkeye defense. And then, no, actually, the Iowa Hawkeye defense had everything to say about this. Oh, Ohio State started sloppy. As a matter of fact, we're talking about a team that got into the red zone five times and scored a touchdown just one time. Noah Ruggles had to kick four field goals in the first half, and it didn't look like it was going to get any better for the offense while the defense was playing outstanding football. The second play from scrimmage, Oklahoma State transfer and holdover from the Jim Knowles regime there, Tanner McAllister, 
came up with an interception to give the Buckeyes the ball to put them in position to score inside the 20. And then later, we got to see the first pick six of his career from scrimmage when we got to see Tommy Eichenberg pick one off, run one back to the house. And we talked about him a bit earlier this week. But Tommy Eichenberg gets this defense and apparently finds his way. He becomes the first Ohio State Buckeye to win Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week in two years. This is early in September. This is after the Wisconsin game. He's got 50 tackles through six games. He had 47 all the last year. Uh, He didn't play much at all in the 2020 year. And all of a sudden, that is the dude that is leading your defense. I think of him as Malcolm Rodriguez was at Oklahoma State, uh, a do-everything, under-recruited kind of player. So I really enjoy Tommy Eichenberg's story because this is a dude that wasn't really that highly recruited. Even coming from the state of Ohio, there was lots more buzz around his brother Liam, who ends up at Notre Dame, and Tommy Eichenberg comes into his own in this Jim Knowles defense. Going into this game, he had 50 tackles. That's more than he had all of last season. Very much the guy in the middle of that defense that Jim Knowles can trust, along with having Tanner McAllister calling the shots at safety, and then that defensive line also playing tremendous football. As a matter of fact, I don't think any defensive coordinator in the country has done a better job in his first year than Jim Knowles, because we're talking about a defense that folks are going, yeah, you're playing against Iowa. We'll talk about Iowa here in just a little bit. But the way that Jim Knowles had really just allowed these guys to play inside of his 4-2-5, not making it too hard for them, not making it too difficult. And then you get to see the dividends because remember in 2021 and even 2020, the ask was not that large for the defense. It was, hey, we know we have the best offense in football. We know we have a Heisman caliber quarterback for the last three years. All we're asking you guys to do is be competent, is be average. And they've done better than that. They haven't given up more than 21 in any single game this year. And I don't give a damn who you're playing. That's called good defense. And as the offense needed to get its feet underneath it, the defense continued to play outstanding football, even if it is against Iowa. And by the time we got to the second half, we got to see what that meant. Now, before we get just into what I think is good Ohio State football, right? Let's talk about the one player that we thought we would see all day today who'd been out for most of the year, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Four catches, 36 yards, that's the entire season. It's a dude who went for over 1,600 yards last year, 95 catches. A man that was not just supposed to win the Bolitnikoff Award this year, but was a Heisman finalist at the beginning of this year. And how does Brian Hartline respond? He says, no, I got Marvin Harrison Jr. I got Emeka Egbuka. I've got Julian Fleming. And those guys are going to be able to carry the load for us, even as Jackson Smith and Jigba is clearly not 100%. And full credit to Hartline and Ryan Day for not pushing him back in action because they got these dudes. So as we got to see a little bit of the bad football that Ohio State played in the first half, we got to see just what a number one ranked team is supposed to do in the second half. 38 unanswered points as Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla participated in Oprah's rendition of, and you get a turnover, and you get a turnover, and you get a turnover. Five takeaways for Ohio State in the first three quarters of this game, outstanding football defensively, and then having the offense absolutely catch up to the defense and put it on Iowa. Now, I also think that uh, Uncle Shannon, Unc, had a really great tweet today that uh, I'm sure we'll have on the screen here in just a little bit, but basically he was trying to say, the quarterback play, ain't good at Iowa, and that's being nice. And when you take a look at what it is, that's just what it is. As a matter of fact, I'm looking around going, 
Kurt Ferentz, go into the uh, transfer portal, dog. Go get you somebody that can operate inside of the offense that you want to run because it's very clear that this is the offense you want to run. But both Spencer Petras and Alex Padilla are not your guys here. Iowa's offense is like when your homie finally goes from playing pro on Madden to all Madden on Madden and then starts blaming the CPU. That's how it looked today. Now, it's really difficult to say that this Iowa win should mean that much to Ohio State and Ohio State fans, but I really look at it a bit differently, okay? I look at it to say that no team had scored more on a Kurt Ferentz Iowa football team today than Ohio State did today. Since 1999, Kurt Ferentz has had that job. This is the first time he's given up 54 points to an opponent in the regular season. Just ridiculous for an Ohio State team that remembers getting beat down 55-24 just a few years ago in Iowa City. I'd also add in this. C.J. Stroud didn't play great football today. And you guys know how much I love me some C.J. Stroud. I really believe he's going to win the Heisman Trophy this year. And I've had a really cool seat to watching his rise since his junior year of high school to Ohio State and the kind of guy he's become, even getting to have some really nice conversations with Mrs. Stroud about what the journey's been like for him. But today, 20 of 30, 286 yards passing, four TDs and a pick. And I think he might have graded out at a C, guys. As a matter of fact, that's the point for Ohio State. They have played bad football basically till the third quarter, and they still were managing to win this game by more than 40 to cover the spread of 30 against a team that has a doggone good defense. You got to see what Joe Evans meant, what Sam, uh, Jack Campbell meant, what Sam, uh, Sam Vincent, Seth Vincent meant, what Kayvon Merriweather meant, right? What Cooper DeGene meant. Those dudes can play. And you heard Joel during the broadcast. He was giving up to him saying, at one point, can we always watch these two defenses play? But I'm also looking at this going, hey, Iowa held Ohio State to just 66 rush yards on 30 carries. You're going to need more production out of Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams against better football teams, but there's still time for that. So who's the better football team that they have to worry about? Well, Penn State is going to give them everything they want in Happy Valley in just a week's time. But the team that everybody is looking forward to, the team I'm looking forward to them playing, is Michigan in the game that is in Columbus this year. After Michigan won that game for the first time in over a decade last year, and Michigan ain't going to be no easy win. It's very clear that last year was not a fluke. Even if I thought that it was at the start, I'm converted. It's a good football team. Now, they go to Iowa. They played against Michigan. They win this game 27-14 to in Iowa City. Okay? So 27-14, we think that's pretty good, especially for two teams that want to run the ball. That's going to eat up a lot of clock. You're not going to try to run up the score. But I have a hard time dismissing Ohio State doubling up that score of 27 to 54 and then holding them to fewer points than Michigan did. Matter of fact, it's 40 to 10 in the third quarter, guys. I'm honestly asking, are we comparing at this time? Because I feel like if it gets into a shootout, I'm going to trust Ohio State to go win that game and also to respond like a number one ranked team should. And if you're paying attention, that's exactly where they have been in my rankings. And I don't see any reason to move them after this blowout win at Ohio Stadium. Also, shout out to you guys for really giving us such a warm welcome. I got to see a whole bunch of Buckeye fans for my first trip. Thanks so much for this. Uh, I will remember this time in Columbus. All right, let's go from that blowout win to a game that looked like a blowout win, even if it finished just double digits. Number 10, Oregon. Takes down number nine, UCLA, 45 to 30. Now, I was a little bit, well, dismissive is the word to use about just what Oregon might be able to do at UCLA. 
when I talked to my buddy, Jeff Schwartz, who is an Oregon duck and said, Hey, RJ, I think we're going to win this one. And I'm going to text you now to his credit. He didn't text me at all during this game. I expected one. I was going to reference it, but he chose to take the high road, if you will, because he saw what I saw a dominant Oregon ducks performance. Again, from the jump, we got to see some outstanding football play from Oregon and frankly, from Bo Nix with the win streak on the line. The first of two I'll reference today, they had a 22 game win streak that they were trying to protect. One that stretches back all the way back to 2018 at home. And they managed to protect that go to 23. So that, that streak continues to grow. Oregon scored on eight of its first nine possessions of the game. And seven of those were TDs. When they got the ball, they were able to go punch it in. Outstanding performance from Bo Nix. Outstanding performance from Troy Franklin. And Marquise Bucky Irving having an outstanding day as well. 19 carries, 107 yards, three catches, 57 yards. It felt like the Oregon offense could do whatever it wanted against the UCLA defense. If that sounds familiar, it's because the guy on the UCLA sideline is so used to being on that other side of that, right? Being the Oregon team that's running up and down UCLA. And shout out to Dan Lennon, his Ducks. They said, not today, sir. Not at Autzen Stadium. As a matter of fact, they did this in front of a large crowd. So much so that I want to reference the tweet that really seems like the Ducks are watching the show in which they had asked UCLA, have y'all seen this many people before? Because you'll know I have been all over the city of Los Angeles for how poorly it is attended USC and UCLA games alike. 59,962 people showed up for this game at Austin Stadium in Eugene. That is the fourth largest crowd at Austin since 2011. I didn't check the stats for UCLA hosting Utah, 42K. Okay, I would have thought that that was a bigger game for UCLA than say today, as we're talking about an Oregon team that's already had the loss and UCLA was undefeated, but not no mo. As a matter of fact, going into this game, we'd all been talking about is DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson, going to be in the running for the Heisman Trophy with a win like this today? And Bo Nick said, no, no, I'm still here and I still do this. DTR did not look comfortable most of the day, even as they had a great run game. Zach Charbonnet actually outrushed Bucky Irving, but it did not matter as Bo Nix was out there dealing. Troy Franklin was winning his one-on-ones. Bucky Irving was picking up the hard yards. And by the way, uh, CFB on Fox, get on them. <laughs> My goodness, catching this. What, what, what formation is this that we're looking at here on this tweet? I don't even know what this is. I would love to know, but I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss of words here. Because I'm trying to figure out, are we, are we kicking? Are we going for it? No, no. We're just going to line up and see what they're in. And perhaps you just feel that good about what you're able to do. Perhaps you feel that in control as you're also wearing some jerseys that I also want to give some love to right quick. Like, you'll see the pink and you'll know Breast Cancer Awareness Month. But the Oregon Ducks are also auctioning off 20 helmets that look like the ones that were being worn today. I think they're game worn to give that money to breast cancer research. So I, I got to I gotta give it up there as we're all in on that fight together. And it's nice to see that Oregon is all in it as well. Now, from that really cool thing to the really horrible thing that Oregon did, okay? It knocked off the last undefeated team, the Pac-12. So I, I don't think you guys actually want to make the college football playoff. I think you just decided to say, make a secret pack over the last five years to say, no, no, we don't, we don't want to be in it, and we'll eliminate ourselves, and we'll do it 
before November. Like, it's what are we doing here? Last year, we had Stanford jump out of nowhere to beat Oregon after they got a win at the Hue at Ohio State. And this year, we're like, okay, so UCLA, they're going to go undefeated. They're going to win the first Pac-12 championship without divisions. It's going to be a very strong statement for the conference that has been left out of the CFP for five years. And Oregon says, no, not only are we going to show up and beat you down, we're going to beat you down with everybody already knowing that Georgia beat us like we stole something. So it's not as if we can be taken seriously as a Pac-12 champ to make the college football playoff, unless, of course, some things break their way. And that's a good way to segue into number five Clemson escaping number 14 Syracuse 27 to 21. All right. A couple of things to go through here kind of quickly, but Clemson hasn't lost at home since 2016. Looked like that was in play. First loss they would have had since November 12, 2016. A 38-game or 37-game win streak goes to 38, though, because Dabo Sweeney did what he thought it would be embarrassing to do just a week ago. He gave the hook to DJ Uwe Ungalale for Cade Klubnik. Where have we seen this before? Where have we seen a vaunted blue-chip recruit quarterback Given the hook for a vaunted blue chip recruit freshman quarterback. Oh, yeah, it was Clemson. But Kay Klubnik is not Trevor Lawrence. And that was very clear in the second half of this game against Syracuse. What he was able to do that DJ Uyunglele was not, was not turn the ball over, because you'll know that DJ put the ball on the ground for a 98-yard scoop and score for Syracuse and made an inexcusable interception throw that was just offensive on three levels. Klubnik basically didn't turn the ball over. He took bad sacks. He made some bad plays, but they were able to move the ball and they were able to score with him at quarterback. And now we have a QB controversy between two five-star quarterbacks, one that is tooly as hell in DJ Uwe Unglele and one that is a little bit more precise in his decision-making and frankly in his mechanics in Kay Klubnik. As we continue to talk about what those guys are able to do or not do, I think it's also interesting to point out that Wes Goodwin's defense at Clemson has done its job. I thought that that defense would take a step back. I thought the offense would take a step back. The offense did take a step step back. But Wes Goodwin has been able to keep what Brent Venables built at Clemson in place and intact. They're playing outstanding football. Even as Garrett Schrader felt like the dude that was moving on him, Robert and I apparently decided that he wanted to take Sean Tucker out of the playbook for him. It's the fewest carries that that man has had since he's been an orange man. And frankly, that's their best offensive weapon. I couldn't make that one make sense to me. I know you want to put the ball in the quarterback's hands, but sometimes you got to put it in his hands so we can hand it to the tailback. Because the tailback is the guy that's going to go put you back into this game, as you could very well say with Clemson. With Klubnik back there, they said, hey, Will Shipley, can you go win us a football game? And Will said, I got this. After not feeding them rock for most of the day, the man goes off. He finishes with 172 yards on the ground. DJ Uwe Unglele had 13 to 21 for 138 with those two picks. And one of the things that uh, we have come to frown upon at the number one college football show is rushing the field when you're a ranked team and you're undefeated and you're at home. It's tacky. Not a bad look. Do what you want. It's just tacky. And to do it against Syracuse, also really tacky. I don't care that they're undefeated. You were supposed to win this game by two touchdowns, baby. You Clemson. You won two national championships in the last seven years. You, Clemson, what are you doing rushing the field down at halftime against Syracuse? If anything, you should be breathing sighs of relief that you get a bye before you got to take on Notre Dame, who might actually get up and try to beat you. But them being undefeated also makes this very clear for me, right, as we get to the college football playoff. But I'm going to save that to talk about 
number 11, Oklahoma State, beating number 20, Texas, 41 to 34. This game was back and forth, back and forth. Came down to what was an outstanding play by Bryson Green to give Oklahoma State the go-ahead score, 41 to 34, to win this one as they held off what I thought was going to be a Texas comeback where Quinn Ewers managed to throw the ball away twice. A bit about Ewers in a bit here, but this is about Oklahoma State for me. Because last week, this is the game they lost. They had a chance to win a game just like this against Texas Christian, a team that was also undefeated at the time and still is undefeated at the time that they start their game against Kansas State. And they could have been in the Catbird seat to not just win the Big 12 championship, but to make their first appearance in college football playoff without anybody's help. They gave that away last week. Then they go and they play against a Texas team that everybody feels good about. As a matter of fact, I got folks telling me that they expect Texas to compete for a college football playoff spot with two losses because, oh, yeah, that's a good loss against Alabama. And, oh, yeah, that's not a bad loss against Texas Tech. And I'm going, it's a 14 playoff, guys. How much room do we have for whomever has two losses, let alone if it's Texas? B. John Robinson came to play today. It was very clear to me that Quinn Ewers did not. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at this game. And as a dude that loves his box scores, but also loves to watch the game in actuality, I'm trying to make sense of what I watch from Quinn Ewers because you'll know, I think the world of Quinn Ewers, I think there was a reason why he was able to reclassify, get to Ohio State. There's a reason why I and others lauded him getting to Texas. And there was a reason why I believe that Texas is going to be good this year. A lot of it is him. But these numbers are ridiculous. 16 of 49 for 319 yards, two TDs, and three interceptions. I don't even know what that is. That feels like a high school line, but it can't be because there's 300 yards passing on 16 completions. Like the yardage per catch on that is just stupid. But also Jatavion Sanders came to play when the ball was within his catch radius. Same thing with Xavier Worthy. Same thing with Jordan Whittington. I could see why Steve Sarkeesian wanted to keep putting the ball in the air, but you got number five, seven and a half yards deep just to hand him the football and live with what he gives you. Shout out also to Ryan Watts, another dude that we had talked about earlier this week in the mailbag episode, talking about underrated players. Ryan Watts had an interception against Spencer Sanders as the boundary corner. He's been able to let Pete Kwiatkowski roll the coverage to the other side of the field, put himself out on an island, but today just wasn't enough. Also, superlatives here. Stephon Johnson had a breakout game. This is a man who had just five catches all season for Oklahoma State, four of those coming against HBCU Arkansas Pine Bluff. He had six today. He had five against Texas by the third quarter, for six for 90 yards. Also, we had Bryson Green have five catches for 133 yards in that TD to seal it. But Texas also did not give itself the best opportunity to win this as Oklahoma State gave itself the best opportunity to win this. The way I put this is Texas had 13 penalties for 113 yards. That's a ridiculous number. Oklahoma State didn't have any penalties at all the most efficient and clean game that they have played probably all year, especially coming off of the loss that they had, the way they lost it last year. You got to feel good about this if you are Oklahoma State. You're still very much in the hunt to make the Big 12 championship game, and I expect you to be there. It's about whether or not it's going to be Texas Christian, Kansas State, right? We'll see who you have to play in that championship game, but you look pretty good, and you look like going into November, you give yourself an outside shot to make the college football playoff to finish this out talk about the playoff here at the end lsu throttled number seven ole miss 45 to 20 real quick 
14 penalties for 113 yards for Texas. Back to LSU and Ole Miss. So this game on the rankings looked like it was set up for an upset, but it was not. LSU was actually favored in this game at Tiger Stadium as they welcomed in the undefeated Ole Miss Rebels. You and I might have some thoughts about that because we've also seen what LSU has looked like in losses. But a lot of this has come down to what does your quarterback do and does he do it well? Jackson's uh, dart has basically saved the same, okay? In this game, he started out 11 of 16 for 204 yards, looked pretty good. It's best first half that he's had all year. But Jaden Daniels has steadily progressed and become the kind of quarterback that many of us thought he was capable of at Arizona State. He takes care of the football. He makes good decisions. In this game, he had over 250 yards passing. He had over 100 yards rushing. He was the offense. He was absolutely out there feeling himself. Had a great time. And this is huge for a guy that was just 8 of 20 for 80 yards against Auburn. Auburn ain't nobody that you should be going 8 for 20 for 80 against if you're Jaden Daniels. But since then, he had a 300-yard passing performance against the Tennessee Volunteers who all of a sudden feel like a team to many that can win the national championship. In my best, Monique, I would like to see it. But first, I would need to see them beat Georgia. Again, I would like to see it. And then he went for 349 against Florida. And now we've seen what he's able to do against a top 10 Ole Miss team that felt like they were having a chance to play in the SEC championship game. They were sitting against, uh, sitting atop the SEC West just ahead of Bama. And now they slide. We'll see what Bama does against Mississippi State, a game that they traditionally win going away after a loss. We'll talk about that a little bit more on Sunday. Alabama, if they don't take any unexpected losses, have a clear path to the SEC championship and even the playoff. If you are Tennessee, that's exactly the way you would like it to work out because that means that you could get into the college football playoff with a loss to Alabama in the SEC championship and even be ranked number two or even number one, depending on what Ohio State or Michigan do, do going into the college football playoff selection committee's final rankings. It's all ramping up with just over a week before the first college football playoff selection committee rankings. So now we're getting a clearer picture here, right? We know the Big Ten champ, presumably from the Big Ten East, presumably Michigan or Ohio State, gets in to the college football playoff. We know that undefeated Clemson gets the benefit of the doubt from the selection committee. They would get in to the college football playoff. Now, what is the Big 12 going to do? Is Texas Christian good enough to see this all the way out? And does the committee value the Big 12 conference? What will we see from the SEC, particularly SEC West, as two weeks from now, LSU, Alabama will play each other. We're playing guess the lines over here for this because that game is in Baton Rouge. And I expect, well, I'm going to pick Bama just going away because that's what I do. And I'm not sure that Brian Kelly has it in him to finally get past Nick Saban. But we will surely be here to talk about it on the number one college football show. That is going to do it for tonight's episode. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak, been my road dog for the last two weeks. Great thanks to him. Our senior producer, Catherine Donnelly, in my ear, keeping me on time, keeping me on task. That is Ava Yeh on the camera for us. That is my man, Kyle Holly directing the show. Our social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead of screening is Rachel Cohen. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all on Sunday. Deuces.